Welcome to episode 103 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. Yes, I changed it. It is different now. It's that Brewers disor- podcast and not just baseball podcast. Yeah, that was disorienting. So, uh, but we are your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. I'm finally back this week after a couple of weeks off. Uh, being joined today, as always, by JP Breen and Ryan Top. How are you guys doing? I'm good. good to have you back. Good to have you back, buddy. Yeah, it's been a little while. And I, I kind of, I ducked out at the right time because I think when things were at their absolute worst, I was just not paying attention. So it was your fault. Yeah, exactly. If I'm not on top of things every day, then it, it completely falls apart. So <laughs> I now feel like I have a greater responsibility. Hey, we had a big announcement uh, last episode. We want to go over that again? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So we have our, our uh, podcast network the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network, and now uh, included in that is the Reporting as Eligible uh, Packers Podcast with Paul Noonan, Matt Matovich, and J.R. Radcliffe. They're going to be on that every week, so uh, you can start looking for that. Um, we've posted on our Patreon page uh, some of the links to where you can su- subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I think they're on like CastBox. We're still waiting for the iTunes approval um, for that thing to get out there, but yeah. It'll be cool. We have more people to uh, create some awesome, awesome content, right? And if it's not on your streaming pod of choice, basically, you can go to the Patreon page and listen to it there. Uh, yeah, I, it's posted on the Patreon page. And then also in that post is the RSS feed. If you want to just plug it into whatever your app is, um, you can then subscribe to it that way. So but once we get more links, we will make sure to tweet those out and you can listen to those guys. Okay. Good. Just, all yeah. Just bring. Just trying to bring intelligent sports conversation to Wisconsin more generally. Yeah, it'll be good. And you know, everybody here, especially Paul and and Jr. have both been on a number of times, so uh, they are familiar voices. Uh, you can help fans find this podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. JP is Ghost Runner on 2B, second base, right? Is that what that stands for? Is that what it stands for? Yes, it is a baseball reference. It is a baseball reference. Yes. Uh, Ryan is at RD Top, and I'm at Steve Garshinsky. And then finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. They'll also receive a Packers extra podcast. So we're still working out the details on that. And there is a minor league extra brand new out this week. Uh, JP and I went over our top tens in the Brewer system. And talked a whole bunch about that stuff. So it's a big episode. It was almost, I think, close to two hours, about an hour and 45 minutes. So. Yeah, it was an hour and 40 when I downloaded it. So, yeah, it's it not listened to it yet. I, I checked. I downloaded it. I haven't listened yet. I haven't had quite as much time. So, yeah, you'll definitely get the minor league extra. And then for the same, you know, price that we had for the ball and glove level, you also get the uh, football extra when that starts coming out. So, more stuff, same price. Uh, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored in part by carbon four brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like dragon flute block party and their flagship fantasy factory IPA. If you're looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft, the K four tap room on Kidsman Boulevard is offering a buy two, get one free pitcher and a pitcher race for all the draft parties. We did our draft there last year. It worked out really well. It did. 
So we, we can we can personally recommend it that it's a great place to go host your uh, fantasy football draft because we're getting to that time of year. We are getting to that time of year, yeah. So uh, check that out. Um, you can call 608-241-4812 or email Sammy, S-A-M-M-I, at Carbon4.com, or you can stop in and reserve your space today. As always, get 20% off of merch in the Carbon4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon4, beer brilliance. Okay, as I mentioned before, uh, previous week's, when you're talking about the Brewers, it was kind of a rough, uh, rough go. I mean, it was up and down. They it had was, some good stretches, but mostly bad. Anytime you're losing to the Cubs, it's a bad stretch, though. Like that, that hurts. But uh, Brewers kind of got their stuff together, uh, starting the week with the sweep at Pittsburgh. Yep, the Pirates have been regular whipping boys for them this year, and it just continued. So, well, and yeah, nice. JP, what did the Pirates have? Like four wins since the All Star break so far. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's absolutely brutal. Yeah, they've been but, awful. But they still, but they still like refuse to call up their prospects up in AAA to like give them some runs, so maybe they could be solid next year. Well, they probably don't want them to become super twos. But they've already. I'm kidding. Like, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was gonna say, but guys like Mitch Kelly, they've already brought up for like three starts and then randomly kept bringing them down. But then now that they're out of it, like twenty games under five hundred, they've decided that he should probably just stay down. No, he actually just came up. Did he? Yeah, he did. He's on one of my fantasy teams, so yeah, he, yeah, he came back up. Well, good. That means I get to move him around on my stash list a little bit. <laughs> okay, so we had uh, a bit of an offensive breakout in Pittsburgh. Um, they scored, what was it, nine, four, and then eight runs when they were in Pittsburgh. So it finally felt like the offense was clicking a little bit. Uh, Jordan Lyles pitched well on Monday. Uh, Peralta and Hader looked shaky, though. Um, Gave up a couple of uh, runs in close games. Made those wins a little tighter than they should have been. I yeah. was going to say, it was a pretty fantastic Brewer. Like, it was the ultimate 2019 Brewers experience in which, even though they've now, what, won five games in a row, it the week still feels like they kind of played badly. Yeah, they really... When you're giving up runs late, when your best relievers are doing it, and the offense has to bail them out consistently, which has happened again and again, and fortunately the offense has been there to do it, you know, Thames hit his home run on Friday night, and they had some other late runs throughout the week. But yeah, when when the bullpen is shaky like that, it tends to make people very concerned. I'm surprised we didn't get more questions about Hater, to be honest. But I guess people are not that freaked out yet. I don't know. But like, what what are you what are you supposed to say about Hater? That yeah, like he gives up some home runs and he's given up some home runs in the past. But now that the juice ball has happened, like he's giving up more home runs, and it'd be nice if he had a secondary pitch that was consistent. And then we all like move on. Yeah, that's pretty much what you can say, and maybe that's why people aren't asking the question anymore because that's just the answer. And I think people kind of know that, but they also know that he can be incredibly effective with just the one pitch. That most of the time he actually is incredibly effective with just the one pitch. It's just that occasionally somebody will tee off on him, and if there happens to be runners on base, it can be pretty damaging. Or if it's you know a one-run game, a solo shot will tie it. So, Well, in which game was it that he ended up walking a bunch of guys? He had some control issues on Friday night. So I, that that's what seemed, I think, a little bit more concerning than when well, he gives up the okay. home runs. It's if he starts walking guys. To be fair, that Friday night zone, that umpire's zone was ridiculous. I kept seeing examples of it all night. People would post him on Twitter. He called 18 walks the brewers walked uh eight times and the rangers walked 10 so like but 
That was let's kind not, of just an outlier in general. Let's not let's not pretend that eighteen walks is the fault of the empire. Um, he helped a lot. He really did. That's not the point. It if if you're in a position to even make a mistake eighteen times, like it's not like every single one of those walks was just like, well, that probably was a strikeout, but he made a mistake. I mean, he just had a really tight zone, so you had to be in the zone to get a strike call. And, and so not- batters were t- batters knew it and were just taking pitches. Right. Which then, if you're a pitcher, you also knew it and still couldn't do it. Yeah, but the, yeah, the problem is in today's game, you got to still play on those edges because if you put it down the middle, you're going to get tanked. Like people and, are going if, to hit one hard off of you. So. And if the zone is big, they're still going to try to be on the edges. Yeah. And I mean, I mean they, it, it's not the best pitchers in the world for the most part that were, were pitching in that game on Friday night, but. It also was just kind of a ridiculous strike zone. So, well, going back to my point about Hater though, is giving up the home runs is something that it's just going to happen. It's part of the deal with him, especially with the juiced ball. Yeah, it's yeah, just kind of the so. As as long as he's not putting guys on base, where then those home runs are like multi-run shots. That's when it's going to get dangerous. That's when you might see some kind of bad Hater that could be more concerning. Yeah, and keep guys still, off for the base. most part. He doesn't get give up many hits. Like there, you don't see a lot of singles off of Josh Hader. So no. basically, it's either a strikeout or a walk or a home run. Like that's he's a three true outcome pitcher. <laughs> is that a thing now, JP? What do you think? Three true outcome pitcher is that a thing? I think most pitchers are now three true outcome pitchers. Yeah, he might be a little bit more extreme than most, considering his strikeout rates right around fifty percent last I looked. So <laughs> yeah, so uh, Chase Anderson solid again. He's really kind of been the uh, stabilizing force for this rotation. Yeah, I mean, him and and uh, and Hauser and actually, to be fair, Lyles had a really good start on Sunday that we're just kind of catching the end of here while we're recording. But all three of them have been better than you would have expected. And Gio Gonzalez also has been pretty solid in this run, too. So I don't know how much you want to bet on it continuing, but they've done the job over the last you know, week or so going back. Really, it was that Cubs sweep at Wrigley where they really played poorly. Other than that, things haven't been terrible. I guess well, the, the series in Oakland was not great, but. And and that's been their plan for the rotation all year is like get a bunch of guys together, get eight or nine guys that can start game and have the ability to go on stretches where they can uh, perform quite well and that if somebody is not pitching well, that they've got somebody in reserve that they can bring in and just kind of throw them against the wall and see if it works. And every single one of the pitchers that they've got in the rotation right now are guys that are going to go through really good stretches and then go through really bad stretches. And what they're kind of hoping is that, like, can you get uh, a certain amount of guys in the rotation at the exact same time that are able to put put things together? And if not, can you replace them with somebody else who does? And... um the biggest problem has been the vast majority of like the last couple of months, they've not been able to kind of mix and match because they've had so many injuries. But right now they're in a stretch where they, they have a bunch of guys that are going, that are going right. And I would imagine that the kind of the, the organization is like, well, I am, as you said, like Chase Anderson is probably not going to pitch this well throughout the rest of the year. If he does, that's great. Then they don't have to make a decision. Everything's lovely. But if he does start to go badly, then, you know, then you've got Woodruff coming back. You've got Shasin coming back. You've got uh, Jimmy Nelson uh, potentially getting healthy again to the point that he could come back if needed in September. Well, we actually had but- a, a note about that because Hottercourt reported today that he is going to be working out of the bullpen. 
presumably for the rest of the year. So well, he has been, but well, no, it sounds like that's the plan for the rest of the year, though. And the plan was, yeah, they've got a lot. If they need him to be able to come in because they've got so much ineffectiveness, the point is, is that he's got the capability of coming in to start. Not that they would, they are going to rely on him to do it. Right. I mean, because sure. like, if you need it, if there are so many injuries and so many, so many guys being ineffective. Jimmy Nelson is a guy that you could say, I'm going to need you to start some. Yeah. And I don't think I put it on here. And I don't think we knew it as of the beginning of this week. But uh, Zach Davies went on the DL with, what was it, back issues, did they say? I don't, this one felt particularly like he's had three bad starts. It's time for a DL stint. Well, I think it was back spasms, they said. Okay. Something to something to that, to that effect. And that they said, I, and I could be not remembering this correctly but i think they said in his last start he kind of felt it in his back midway and then kind of just told the team about it but was trying to pitch through it and was just like there's no point yeah i can feel it in my back when i see one of those zach davies starts coming <laughs> you're like yeah location's not there today this one's gonna sting yeah <laughs> like when the- he's really had those against the cubs lately gets a little bit cold and damp and you're like oh i can feel this in my knees yeah <laughs> it's not gonna be a great day it's not gonna be a great day Oh, so uh, going back to Chase Anderson, JP, what do you think he's doing right now that he had not been doing previously, leading to some of the issues he had had? Well, I don't, I don't have his numbers up at the moment, but uh, at least anecdotally, what it feels like, and it, again, it could be wrong, is that he's throwing strikes, right? It's, it's he's throwing strikes, and he's being able to use his off-speed stuff well enough to to be because he's, and again, I'm gonna caveat this that i'm not looking at things and i'm just going off of memory but in the past what he's always been is kind of a reverse platoon split guy and he's always needed to kind of handle righties a little bit better and for a while when he started to get good it was because of this curveball he was able to change that and and everybody was saying it was the velocity increase and the fact that his curveball was able to help him kind of get out of trouble um and it feels right now that he's being able to command the baseball enough to be able to use his off-speed stuff to stay effective and keep guys off his fastball. Yeah, his last start on Tuesday night at Pittsburgh, he was really, really good at staying on the edges of the zone and kind of working to all four corners, especially like you were talking about right-handers keeping it both high and low on the outside corner. He was able to mix and match back and forth between the two, and that really did set him up where... You could see batters just really weren't comfortable facing him. They couldn't tee off on anything because he was able to move the ball around at will. So, and we've seen that come and go for him. We'll have to see if he can continue it up, but he really did look good on Tuesday. Uh, some of the changes we've had in this past week uh, Faria got called up. He's had a couple of appearances. Uh, Pomerantz has gotten a chance to get in a few times. Uh, Matt Elbers is the closer. I mean, Elvers has pitched the ninth a few times when Hader's been unavailable because... He's proven closer. Proven closer, yeah, TM. <laughs> so, yeah, and you also had Devin Williams get called up this week and make his major league debut, and he really... He gave up two unearned runs, and it really was the defense that kind of let him down. He looked pretty good. He was uh, three strikeouts, one walk. He, he did a pretty good job of uh, keeping batters uh, off balance there. And JP, you were talking about his changeup that he was throwing a changeup that you hadn't seen before, right? Who, which pitcher are you talking about? We're talking about Devin Williams. That he there, uh, was, there was a whole conversation about what he was throwing on Wednesday night. There was some disagreement on the uh, no. stat cast. Yeah, so no, it, it's I have seen his changeup. I've seen his changeup over a long period of time. 
Um, I've seen his changeup being able to flash plus at times, but it's always been pretty inconsistent. He's not really uh, trusted it over a long period of time. What I was saying is that I had been hearing, uh, and if you go to even things on like Fangraph's write-up of Devin Williams prior to the season, that they were saying he was fastball curveball. Um, and that his curveball was his best secondary pitch, that he does offer a plus curveball, and that he was uh, basically hitting triple digits. And um, and that was like kind of his calling card now that he was moving into into the bullpen, was that he was going to be a guy who was just going to just let it fly with the with the the fastball, but then he was going to rely on the big breaker. And so when to basically go back and watch his start and realize that he was, I think he threw like 11 changeups and one and one slider, um, which or you know, slider breaking ball or curveball kind or slurve, whatever you want to call it. Um, that was just really strange because not that he doesn't have that pitch or hasn't thrown it in the past, but that like the reports coming out about Devin Williams, uh, and when he was starting to to really perform well in the minor leagues and you were looking at him as a potential call up that everything was coming out about his breaking ball and not his change up. Uh, and then it just comes out and just like throw basically nothing but change ups. Yeah, it looked like he threw maybe one or two. I, to me, when I was watching it, I thought it was kind of a tight breaking pitch. It looked like a curve to me. But mm-hmm. and then uh, who was it? Harry Pavlidis came into that chain and said he was throwing a, a high spin change up and it actually had more spin than his. Uh, his slider did so that's well, a, that that's a really weird thing yeah i mean that that says much more about his slider which is why he tends to go with his curveball rather than his slider because the slider doesn't really break much um but yeah if you look it's is his changeup looking at it is a lot like what uh jorge lopez's changeup used to look like uh or maybe it still does look like it i don't know i don't watch the royal um <laughs> i don't think royals fans watch the royals so you're okay but yeah, we were talking about before this that I was like looking at the Royals uh, box score from today and I was like, there are legitimately players that I do not know who they are in their lineup. Um, and as somebody that has to like edit a bunch of baseball prospectus pieces that I was like, I don't I'd have to Google who this is <laughs> for me to be able to find like his player page to link to it. Um, OK, so I do have a question from Dan Larson and he asked, uh, what what do you think Devin Williams ceiling is? Is he someone that you see being a key part of their bullpen plans next season and beyond? It's it's hard. I mean, he could be right. I mean, this is a little bit like um, it, it's a little bit like the Corbin Burns story because Corbin Burns was so good last year and he had an extended stretch where he was so good that the biggest problem with Devin Williams isn't necessarily the stuff. It's not the fact that he could be a key bullpen piece in high leverage situations next year. It's the fact that we haven't seen it over an extended period of time, and we don't know if it's going to be able to kind of uh, turn over uh, year on year. And we don't necessarily know if he's going to be able to throw strikes enough for that to matter. That was my question is, is he going to be, you know, Taylor Williams, where he's got the stuff, clearly has big league stuff, but doesn't command it consistently enough to be able to be a reliable bullpen piece at the big league level yet. And we just, well, I, we don't know yet. I say, I think the, the most interesting thing about Devin Williams is I was actually listening to a podcast uh, from, I think it was like the futures game ish, but it, it's called, uh, if you are interested in podcasts about the minor leagues, you can subscribe to our Patreon, but you can also go to uh, the minor league baseball podcast, which is the show before the show. And he was on there and talking about his transition to the bullpen and, and his great year and basically go, going into the the futures game. And they were asking him, like, what is it that has 
basically saw seen your fastball go from like 93 miles an hour to touching 100 and his answer was i i don't really know like and he said that he he's gained some muscle but it's those things to me that it's not uh yeah i i, I tweaked some things with my mechanics yeah i worked with so and so over the off season if you have a pitcher basically saying yeah i don't really know what has allowed me to start throwing it harder to me that raises some questions in terms of like how sustainable that is over a long period of time the fortunate thing is, is if Devin Williams does lose the velocity, he's still throwing 95, 96, and that's still doable. But yeah, it was just, it's really, it's really interesting when you hear pitchers because it, I think it reinforces kind of the, I don't want to say randomness, but like just kind of uh, how player development can be just weird and how guys can just all of a sudden find something that they didn't have. And if you ask a player about it, they go, I, I don't know, it just feels right. <laughs> And and then suddenly, like, you know, somebody is just kind of uh, being able to to be somebody that has jumped so many steps. And now we're looking at him and I don't know if he's going to be a high leverage piece this year, but he's showing the ability and the stuff to be able to be a guy that they can that they can rely on, which is more than we can say for the bullpen for the vast majority of the year, I think. Well, and I think that he's a guy who looks like a potential multi inning weapon, which is what they really are, you know trying to churn out now is guys who can go two innings at a time and then take, you know, a day or two off and do it again. So, but like, I don't know it, it, in the Brewers bullpen right now, who would you say can't do that? I mean, maybe Albers and Claudio and that's about it. Yeah. Albers is a little bit more traditional, but he's gone multiple innings. He did it more last year. I think than this year, he's been used a little bit differently yeah. this year. I would say that actually, now that I think about that, I would say uh, Jeremy Jeffers probably can't go more than one inning right now because I think they just don't feel comfortable with his arm. Yeah. They don't want to push him that way. I would say, but I think he actually did this week though. I think he pitched 1.1 at one point. So I think he went an inning and a third. So well, if you get that easy first out and then you just pitch the next full inning, that's not, yeah, and that's I think that's what crazy. happened. So, uh, Keston Hira had been slumping, but this week, um, you turned around like I was shouting out a play. No, <laughs> nothing happened at the moment. Uh, but Keston Hira kind of uh, had a little bit of a power binge this week after his uh, brief slump. Yeah, he had a couple in Pittsburgh and hit one on Friday in Milwaukee. Now, what you did miss was a Hernan Perez double. Oh, nice. So we can get to that in a moment. But um, Yeah, I mean, Hira, it's... It really is nice to see him swinging the bat well again. And I don't know. Power is going to come and go in, in spurts. And he has done a good job, even when he's been not hitting the ball for power, of at least working pitchers and not getting himself out. So I'm not – even when he was slumping, I wasn't super concerned. But it is nice to see that power pop back up again. Yeah, I mean, it turns out he's, other than Yelich, maybe the best hitter on the team right now. I mean, maybe Trent Grisham. We'll see. No, no, no. Here is better than Trent Grisham. Uh, what I enjoyed most was uh, Ricky Weeks' Wall of Fame day uh, when Keston Hira drew the RBI walk. I thought I did. It was good. It, it was a good tribute. I thought about doing a little mini pod to celebrate Ricky's <laughs> Wall of Fame, but then I realized that Andy would have been the only person to listen to it. I, I would have listened to it. I'm a big Ricky Weeks fan. I think there are plenty of big Ricky Weeks fans. He's the only one that would have then saved that download <laughs> for future listens. So it would have just been like it would have been going through our download list and be like, this one has one download. Guys, it would have been his ringtone, let's be honest here. <laughs> um 
Let's see. What else do we got? Okay, the Brewers have taken the first two from the Rangers at Miller Park. We're currently watching Game 3 right now. Christian Yelich is up in the eighth with oh, a runner on. Yeah, this is his first time since uh, Monday night. Yeah, so we the Brewers have had a really good streak going here, and it's pretty much been without Christian Yelich. Um, I guess at this point, JP, with how many games Yelich has missed, I know he's getting an at he's getting an at bat right now on on Sunday. I mean, do they just feel confident with the pieces they have? Like they just figure they are going to get Grisham time anyways, or are they? not using the IL to the fullest extent because he's this is a lot of time without Yelich and that's a pretty much a dead roster well, we spot. have a, we have a question from Jason Dondelinger you should just read because I promised him it would get on the pod oh so. <laughs> he didn't ask it to us I just said hey we're taking this and I grabbed it okay uh yeah Jason Dondelinger uh one of our patrons asked uh today's sixth day in a row that Yelich has not played uh at this point why not put him on the IL and get an extra man on the roster yeah, so I I have two two different answers to this. Number one, we've seen this a lot with Ryan Braun in the past, where they're willing to take uh, one of their main guys and a veteran to say that we're not necessarily we do not want to lose you for an extra five days, or we don't want to lose you for an extra four days, and we're going to kind of play it by ear. And especially with somebody like Yelich, I think it's basically his back. Like he could wake up tomorrow and then feel great, um, and so they're going to kind of take it as it comes. But the other thing is, I think if they replaced him, I don't necessarily think I don't know who they would add in which it's a value add unless it's just another bullpen arm, which I know that Steve would say that maybe that's not a value add. Uh, But it's I don't think that what are they going to do? Bring up another outfielder that they're not going to plan on using. This is the thing. They've run most of the year with a four man outfield and they called up Trent Grisham and that gave them a five man outfield. So the fact that that Yelich is sitting on the bench doesn't really affect what they're doing. It's not like they're missing out on like having guys to play in the outfield. They have plenty of people to play in the outfield. So really what this comes down to is like basically they could have brought up Hernan Perez a couple days earlier or they could have kept Travis Shaw up instead of sending him down. And the, well, and they could have the, and they could have kept up Travis Shaw and then not played him. Exactly. And the trade-off for this would have been, okay, so maybe Travis Shaw is able to get a few pinch hitting plate appearances in there over the weekend or whatever. And that's fine. That's great. But I think basically their stance on this is absolutely correct, which is if if Christian Yelich can give us those two games on Tuesday, Wednesday, and obviously get a pinch hitting appearance here on Sunday, then we're not going to put him on the injured list because he can win a game for us just the last time we saw him, he had two home runs against the Pirates. Like, he can be a force in one game to the point where unless you are replacing him, like, let's say Trent Grisham was in the minors. Okay, bring Trent Grisham up. That could be a justifiable thing. But if it's instead of Travis Shaw or Hernan Perez, whatever. Just keep Christian Yelich on the roster. And, yeah, you're playing a man short on the bench. It, it's not the end of the world. It really barely matters. So... In this case, when it's Christian Yelich, yeah, if he can come back two, three days short of a 10-day IL stint, then, yeah, just keep him on the roster. It's fine. He's Christian Yelich. JP, how do you think uh, uh, Trent Grisham has looked so far since he's he's gotten, I think, a little bit more time than people would have initially expected when he got called up? Yeah, I think I think overall he's looked pretty solid. Um, I think he is a lot of what, 
kind of we've seen in the past, except he's a little bit more explosive on balls that he he wants to attack. But he's he's always had a good idea what he's doing on, at the plate. He's always had a good knowledge of the strike zone. And it's been interesting to see him play a little bit more against lefties, which is kind of what I complained about on on the minor pod um, recently. So can kind of alleviate some of those concerns about relegating him to a a platoon guy when he hasn't really had a chance to show that he needs to be a platoon guy. But it is it's it, it it's extremely con- uh, encouraging because I think one of the biggest things that I was concerned about when when calling him up if they were not going to use him that he had no opportunity to really claim any any consistent playing time and Yelich being a hurt has been an opportunity for him to come in and really stake a claim to deserving playing time down the stretch. It what'll be really interesting is how much he plays once Christian Yelich comes back every day. Are they basically going to try to give him at bats against righties between center field and left field and they're going to consistently make that switch? They're going to try to play him four or five days a week, or are they going to use him as somebody who kind of plays twice a week um, and then is always the first guy to come off for uh, a pinch hit ap- appearance? Because the most interesting thing to me was, I think it was, what was a Saturday night that he mm-hmm. was three for three and then ended up getting kind of subbed out. Um, he was three for three and a walk and got pulled for a, a pitching maneuver. Right. Which like, ended up being fine right they won the game it's not a big deal but um but it is interesting to still see that he even in a good performance he's still one of the first ones that they're going to go in for a double switch well and when you have the flexibility in the outfield that they have they did this a lot last year with the infield and especially in the second half you would see Mustakas and shaw trading off when both were still going well but it wasn't like they were putting yelich out there no Oh, no, no, no. And I would expect Yelich to stay in the lineup. This is about switching between center field and left field, not really affecting Yelich. If, if Yelich is healthy, he's in the lineup and he's. But I mean, there. like, that, in taking out somebody who is three for three with a walk and then putting in somebody like Gamble, and Gamble's, Gamble's fine. Gamble's a good, solid four, uh, fourth outfielder. But, like, he's still a lefty. And so it was like a defensive replacement? It was to get the uh, pitcher in a different spot it was to slide the pitcher around i know that i understand like how the double switch works (laughs) i i am just suggesting that it's still showing a willingness to move it's not like it's not like they're going to double switch out uh you know keston hira even though they've got aaron perez who can come in and play second base right i mean it still shows the it still shows a willingness to take somebody out of a game in a close game and i think you will see that occasionally i think hero will come out sometimes for perez now that he's back now that they have him there, I think that'll yeah, happen I, occasionally. If, I don't. If the Brewers are up and they just want a defensive replacement, I, otherwise yeah. I don't see it. Right, right, right. Just to switch things around, and if there's a, uh, a a move that makes sense for them, I don't see that happening very often. I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't see it happening very often. Uh, a few moves this week. Uh, Travis Shaw was optioned down to AAA. There was a little bit of a debate initially. I think Hundercourt treated tweeted out that he wasn't sure if. He was sent down or outright released. And Travis Shaw briefly put a peace sign on, out on Twitter, and then he instantly deleted it. So. Yeah, there's something to, something like that. Um, so obviously, tough time for Travis Shaw uh, as he gets sent down again. Uh, the Brewers call uh, Hernan Perez back up, and then they DFA'd Birch Smith. So um, overall, how do you think this affects 
the roster makeup, and I guess how are they going to use Perez going forward? Well, they needed a backup shortstop. Uh, RC had been playing every single day since they had sent out uh, Saladino, and they needed somebody to back that position up. They also needed a right-handed bat because Travis Shaw was a left-handed bat on a team that had a lot of left-handed bats, so he didn't really have a, a role and didn't have a route to playing time. And Perez Man. does have a little bit more of a route to playing time. <laughs> It's too bad that they traded one of those guys who could play shortstop and was a right-handed bat and could play multiple. I mean, if if they were convinced that he was good, I would imagine he would have been up ahead of... Uh, so do um, you think that they are convinced that Aaron M. Perez is good? No, I'm saying that if they were convinced that Mauricio Dubon was good, that he would have been up ahead of Tyler Saladino. I love how bullish he had been on Dubon. It was not that bullish. This you, is a myth. You had been relatively I, bullish is, on Dubon until he was traded, and then all of a sudden, oh, is, no, he's, there he's is useless. Absol- there is absolutely nobody in the organization that you would find that would say that Tyler Saladino is a better player this year or long-term than Mario Dubon. You would not find a single person in the entire organization that would say that. And yet, Saladino was the one who was up, and Dubon was not. And both were on the 40-man. And, and maybe, the, maybe the question is why, and it's not about whether or not he's a good player. It's about whether or not they wanted Dubon to be able to get regular playing time. That is the thing that would make the most sense. Yeah. And well, so I would a snarky comment. But um, but the uh, I would say the most interesting thing to me is that the Brewers, I think, were one of the league leaders, if not the league leader, in having uh, roster guys on the roster that have a tree name in Birch Smith. <laughs> and, I, and now they're definitely they don't have any. As they far had as one, I'm, and now they have none. I don't think that was spelled correctly for it to be the tree. No, it I, wasn't. Look, if I'm going to go for a pun, it's about the sound of the word. It's not the actual word. Right? Yeah, I think puns are a audio joke. Yeah, not a. And this is this joke. is an. Au- oh, this I is, get it. I get this it. This is an audio medium. <laughs> okay, so uh, Brian Luzak asked, seen- uh, "How happy is Steve that Perez is back?" How you happy are you, Steve? I, I bet the say, over. I bet the over on innings pitched, and he was a third of an inning short. So I'm very happy because I want to win that prop bet. Incredible. But I was going to say, you should have seen Steve's face as soon as like he realized that that entire thing about Burt Smith was like a, an elaborate pun. He was really pissed off that he let that go. <laughs> um, It'll and, be edited out. It'll be gone. Yeah. I was going to say, I was surprised that when Hernan Perez came back, though, you didn't tweet out a picture. Well, I think part of it was I was on vacation at the time. I figured you would have had a Google so, alert. Yeah, Google alerts. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, let us see. Where are we going with this? Oh, uh, um, do we think and this is like, do we think that that Travis Shaw is on this team to start 2020? God, yes. I'm I'm not so sure about it. Yep. I'm 100% sure. I mean, unless they were to trade him. You're they, insane. 100% sure. You are they, 100. He is a lock next season to be on the unless they trade him. Yeah. They're not going to DFA him. Oh, they're not going to okay. they're not going to release him in the in the winter. They're not going to non-tender him. You can you can trade somebody like and that still be your plan to not have him be on your roster. Okay. I will say this. They will not non-tender him. Okay. They they will tender him a contract. Whether or not he gets traded, I don't know. But he will be tendered a contract. JP, what's Shaw's role going forward? I, and I think that basically what they're going to do is unless they've got unless they've got an option set up to for somebody to play third base, 
uh, that Travis Shaw will be on the team. But I think if they if they are able to get something where they feel like they can actually solve third base next year, because I th- that's the only reason that I think he has not been DFA'd thus far. Well, and the fact that he's got options, but but I think it's the fact that they if they get rid of him, they have nothing at third base. It's Aaron Perez is like their third base option. Mm-hmm. So it's basically Travis Shaw is here if there's no way to improve third base. Like he I, is the he's going to be the last option for third base. I think so. I know I th- I, last option. The dude hit 60 home runs in 2017 and 2018. It's not a last option situation. I, I understand that, but it's not like this season doesn't exist. No, it exists, and they're going to have to feel fairly good about. Hopefully, he can come back because he will be back in September. We'll see him back in September on the when they expand rosters. If not before then, depending on injury, but we'll see him. Hopefully he can get some sort of positive momentum going the way Domingo Santana did last year when he came back up and had a little bit of a of a hot run. And then they traded and then they uh, traded him. But And I'm not cheering against Travis Shaw. I want to make that nope, clear. Nobody's I, nobody, I, ideally yeah, nope. Travis Shaw would get it together. He would be their third base option for the next couple seasons. Yeah, he has yeah. two years left before he's but a free like, agent. So let's say that they are able to work out, I don't know, I'm just going to make up a number, a, a two-year $25 million contract for, for Moose. Is Travis Shaw still on the team? I don't see how they could carry him then. Yeah, yeah they they probably try to trade him at that point. <laughs> I guess you keep saying trade. I mean, I, I guess they say, could just dump him. I was going to say, like, not to bring up one of the original podcast uh, jokes, but like, wasn't wasn't this thing where like Matt uh, Matt Garza was going to be signed and then traded? Oh God, Ryan's elaborate plan for that. There were so many moving parts. It was <laughs> the I mean, it was like a Swiss clock of trades. They the were way that they thing. were like going to have worked out a trade prior to tendering him a contract and then be able to move him. So it was like a sign and trade deal that they were going to have for the NBA. It was going to be excellent. It was insane, but. Now I think that I think that they will explore every opportunity to uh, improve third base, and because I c- if they are at the very least they would have multiple guys with the same kind of profile as Travis Shaw, and then just throw them on the roster as they've done with the starting rotation. They're like, oh, we're not confident. There is no way that they enter the roster the the 2020 season with Travis Shaw as the only option at third base. I that's what I will say. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to have like a right-handed caddy kind of around for him, whether or not he's at third base, or maybe if he was the first base option, if they decided to go that route, if they decide not which to bring they, back Eric Thames. Which but, they would then still need a third baseman. Right. Well, you were. I was still going on this idea that they were bringing back Moustakas on the two-year $25 oh, I see contract. Yeah, I, I was still in that frame of mind. But like... Because Shaw could play some first base, too, though the bar there offensively is even higher. So he would need to be right and back to what he was in 2017, 2018. I don't know how you'd find out if he is that. Is he a candidate to go down and play in the uh, the winter leagues this year? Maybe. I don't know. Depends on what he wants to do that way. But Man. I mean, his value is at third base. So it's yes. really hard to say oh, we're going to move Travis Shaw to first base and somehow get the value out of him that we need? Well, and I would say, to tell you the truth, I there would be no way in hell I would want to say him, send him to, to Winter League. I would say do not touch a bat for like two months. I was like, do not, don't do anything for two months and then come back and give it a go. Because 
got, the last thing you want him to do is just to go down and try to swing his way out of it and and like further get frustrated or like reinforce bad habits or or whatever. I would say like just take take a break, man. T- take take a break, clear your head, and come back and let's let's treat twenty twenty as if twenty nineteen didn't happen and let's give it a go. Yeah. Um, but like the organization is still going to be looking for at least an internal um alternative option for third base because I don't think that they can possibly go into 20, 2020 with uh Travis Shaw as the only third base option. I just don't see it. Yeah, this is why I think whenever the question was that they sign Grandall or Mustakas in the offseason to a longer term contract, I always feel like it's Mustakas because they just need to get that spot straightened out with the way Shaw's played. Oh, and I just I've always kind of thought Grandall because Grandall is the guy at the position where you just the bar for offense is so low and he is so much better than what your average offensive catcher is he it, offers so it much is value that but way. again the wear on catchers also makes me nervous there i'd rather just if i'm going to put my money in on a guy it'll be somebody who i think it's fair though. the length of the contract has a better chance to be healthy towards the end of it though so. their thing they're doing with him right now is kind of interesting where he is pretty much every time there's a right-handed or left-handed starting pitcher he's in the lineup at first base as because he's a switch hitter so he's in the lineup at first base and that's allowing them to back off of him innings wise and it keeps his bat in the lineup basically daily it does that's fine it's also been over a month since grandall's hit a home run yeah he's, he's been stuck at enough. 19 since the beginning of july he he started hitting a little bit this week he had some uh really hard doubles i know but when you're like well they can play him at first base it's like i mean he's a really good bat for a catcher but are you worried about him offensively, really? I mean, you're not. It's not like Grandall fading at the end of the season is something that's never happened. I still think but, he's a very good player, but like, let's admit that it's it's a grind to be a catcher. I was going to say, and having Grandall at first base is much more of an indictment on your first base capabilities rather than it is celebrating Grandall. Well, and it's but it they're just doing it as the soft side of the platoon. So because, it's not like because, he's a guy who's going to be there most days. But that was because they don't have any other option that's any good. After they got rid of Jesus Aguilar, no. They even when they had Jesus Aguilar, they were still putting Grandall at first base once in a while against against lefties. It's true, they were. Yeah. I would and I'll be interested once Yelich comes back, will they I mean, do you think that uh I know we're not supposed to do prop bets because that's Andy's thing. It will Ryan Braun play more than one inning at first base in the last month and a half. I think they need to consider that. They need uh, he's had he had some work there last year. They need to you, you're shaking even, your head. Well, no 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 because it's been reported he didn't even work out there at all this spring training. He was going completely back to the outfield. I understand that, but they had a different plan with this roster coming into the season. So my question would be, has he worked out at first base at all? I haven't seen any reports saying, "Oh yeah, there he was taking grounders at first. I but it's a it's a prop bet, man. That's a yes or no question, not like a yes if he's worked out there. Right, I, I my guess is no, unless I hear something that he's actually even taken some grounders there in batting practice. I would say no. Yeah, I'm going to be surprised at this point if he does play at first base, but I don't. They have to be considering it, even if they haven't approached him and made any plans to do it. With what Trent Grisham's done, I would think that for next year, knowing that Ryan Braun has to come back because it's the last year of his contract, uh, I think they would need to have that conversation and say, look. Trent Grisham is going to be getting a lot of playing time. If you want to see the field, you really should do some work at first base because that's going to be your chance to get in the lineup. I think for sure he's going to 
play more than one game this season. Ooh. One game or one inning? I I think he'll see more than one game. I, I don't know if that means he'll start more than one game, but I think he he will appear more than one game at first base. At, hmm. at some, we should have stakes on us because we're we're both on one side of it and you're on the other. Yeah. Well, I'm deciding to... with JP's uh, opinion on this, but I just I don't see him playing it because I don't think he's gotten worked out there. That's my only issue. That's what I said. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, what we will say is like we'll decide on the stakes after we find out if I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, another struggling player, we have a question from Matt Ballman. He asks, how much longer uh, with how much longer will Arcia's leash be? He's followed up last year's brutal year with a minus 0.1 F4 this season. His defensive value uh, supposedly makes up for his bat, ranks 14th out of all shortstops. Yeah, the, one of the more puzzling things this year has been Orlando Arcia's dip defensively by basically any metric you look at. Uh, he is not as good a defender this year as he has been in the past. And I don't know what the deal is with that. I don't know why that's happening. But it is. it does seem to be a real problem. And even though his offense has rebounded reasonably well from last year, and a, granted, a big part of that is the juiced ball. He's hitting some balls out of the park because of the juiced ball. But he is he's showing more offensively this year than he did last year. But the defense has been bad. I don't know how much to trust that. I think that my opinion on it going forward is he's going to be an integral part of this team the rest of this year. And you, I think he's you, coming back next year. You trust good defensive metrics. You do not trust when they say a player is bad. It's incredible. Well, he's been his. So his metrics have been all over the place because like UZR, because he's citing fan sure. graphs here. UZR has never thought much of him. And uh, the one at Baseball Prospectus, um, help me up, JP. FRAA. FRAA has always had him higher and has thought so what more I, of him. I, I will say t uh, two quick things on this. Um, number one, I would I would suggest that a lot of the variance in his um, a lot of the variance in his defensive metrics are going to be much more dependent upon positioning rather than ability. Because a lot of it is going to depend on range. It's going to depend on how many balls you get to outside of your designated range and all of those sorts of things. A lot of the, the fielding metrics are are really like it's the reason that like Norioki was like always the best uh, fielder because he started so deep that he like caught a bunch of balls that were like outside of his designated zone, even though like it didn't do anything special. Um, so I, I don't know enough. I, that's just a gut reaction. Um, but I will say uh, since uh, the beginning of June, so we're talking about two and a half months, Orlando RC is hitting 193, 251, 315. That ain't doable, no matter how good your defense is. And so, especially with the juiced ball. And so if you're in a situation, the Brewers, they don't have, uh, they, they don't have anybody that can play shortstop other than him. So his leash is going to be extremely long because they don't have any other options is. And uh, I would say that his leash shouldn't be so big. They should absolutely be able to, to look for alternative solutions because a uh, shortstop is a problem, but I mean, is this a situation what, where if he comes, when Saladino comes back in September, does he start taking time away from Arcia? Because once the rosters expand, they're not I mean, as worried about everything else. Right. I mean, maybe, but I also don't think that's a that's a real solution. That's just putting somebody else there. Right. Like, I mean, what we're I th I take the question to be like, 
are they looking for an upgrade in 2020? I was just say the uh, game just went final on Sunday. Brewers lose one nothing. So much for that offensive explosion that they had been having. Though, in fairness, this was Mike Miner doing Mike Miner things for a, a big part of the game. So they should have traded for him, right? Would have been nice, but that would have been difficult to do. I imagine Trent Grisham would be a Ranger right now if uh, they had traded for Mike Miner. Yeah, I, I would say that again, like not to. Not to belabor this point too much, but like it, it just there are so many reasons why it just hasn't made sense is that I don't understand how you can uh, trade somebody like Dubon and then need to turn to somebody like Aaron Perez two two weeks later to the point that you're saying he needs to come up and get regular playing time because we've got we've got issues and how you can watch somebody like Orlando Arcia hit under the Mendoza line for the better part of two and a half months and still then trade your only other legitimate guy that could play shortstop. Uh, even if you don't think he's an everyday guy going forward, at least every day now. It's just, it it doesn't really make sense to me. The only general. explanation that makes sense there is that they really didn't believe in Mauricio Dubon. They that, really or, didn't believe in him. Really? Or they really wanted to upgrade the bullpen. I mean, they would have had to have felt that it was a, a really crying need. Well, Would okay, you, hold on a second. We, we have, all agree was. We have a question. We have another question from Dan Larson, and this kind of ties into it. It's, how are you feeling about the Brewers' playoff outlook right now? Is this a playoff team at season's end, and what do you see them doing if they get there? Um, now, I think trading Dubon away to get bullpen help was clearly a message that the Brewers thought they were a playoff team, and currently they are the second wild card. They are a playoff team at the at the moment. And they're certainly they're certainly still in contention in the the NL Central. Yeah, yeah they're I mean, a they're game two, and a half back. Well, they're two games out now, depending yeah. on what the Cubs do. So though. I think basically what you saw the entire NL Central do, and the vast majority of kind of wild card teams in the NL is they basically looked at it and said, "I think we can back our way into this if we just make a couple of fringe moves." Yeah, and, and again in the postseason, it really is. It, this is a cliche, but it is just kind of a crapshoot. Like if you're hot which and you is, get going. Which is why every single team, which is, this is why uh, nobody was willing to make any big moves at the trade deadline. Because every single team is saying, well, if we just make the wild card, is that really worth it? And then a bunch of people are like, well, it's kind of just a crapshoot. So we might as well not actually invest anything because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, which is what, big shout out to a couple of pieces that were on Baseball Prospectus about uh, risk aversion in, in terms of GMs and why, you know, you didn't really see anything big happen. Uh, but then also Craig Goldstein writing a piece about why GMs are just a bunch of big babies and are unwilling to do anything because they're too scared to be wrong. Well, what's crazy is that we've seen a number of uh, wildcard teams win that play in game, basically, and then run through the playoffs. I mean, which supports the idea, like, just get there and give yourself a chance. Well, right, we've also is, seen teams like the 2014 Oakland team that got there and looked like, for all the world, like a team that could go on a run, and they lost the wild card game to the... Uh, I'm to not the saying there is no Royals risk involved, and, but you know what? If you get that one one wild card game, you at least have a shot. You do and have what, a and, chip in a chair. And definitely, yeah, why try, right? Well, I mean, if it, 
but I'm saying it, that that chance is greater than just like, well, this is completely random, and you know, just because you win the game, you can fall on your face. It's like then you get a full series. Okay, well, you have to balance it out. I what I think of is well, you are you year, okay? Hold on, you're on the risk aversion side of the argument at all times. Yeah, you think I, that team should build am. towards a competitive window where they are going to win for X number of seasons and then start rebuilding again, which and, is and some it, old model that well, I think everybody should have moved past, you know, a decade I, ago. And I also think that uh, competitive windows can always get bigger. You can always you can always justify moves about being bigger and there's no trigger in which you actually then try to move to being as competitive as you can be. OK, well, the other issue with windows, the other issue with windows if you're only playing for a window and somehow you don't get your stuff together, you have bad luck in those few seasons, then you have nothing to show for it. And you went from rebuild crappy team to rebuilding again. So, you know, take your chance when you, when, when you have it. I think that's one of the big things you have to do. Now, we do have a question, uh, Patreon question from Jeffrey Emenecker. He asks, uh, how long do you think the Brewers window is to be a serious contender for a World Series berth and not just a wildcard hopeful? Uh, which is 75% of the league. Uh, was 2019 it? Assuming Grandall leaves and maybe Moose, is 2020 already going to be a struggle, or can they continue to be a real player for the next number of years? I think the window is kind of Christian Yelich's contract at this point. That's the point you look at. If that could change. They could extend that out based on making another series of savvy moves, or if Keston Hira and, and Trent Grisham were to turn into you know, legitimate stars that could potentially push it out even longer. But right now you kind of look at it and go, Christian Yelich is under contract through 2022, though there's some question about what's going to happen in the 2022 season, if it's even going to exist. But I think that they have enough. I, I put this on Twitter a few weeks ago. You can look at what they have under contract guys. They have locked into uh, control for that time. They have a, a number of good young players locked into team control through 2022 so at least that point and then maybe they have to look at that point as to what they're going to do if they need to start selling pieces off and, and get better for the future or if they can figure out a way to extend that window beyond david stearns has done that like we didn't think that the window was going to open up nearly as soon as it did in 2017 like they missed the playoffs by a game in 2017 we didn't have that pegged we didn't think that was likely to happen so the idea that it could get extended out in the future should not be a surprise to anybody. And that was largely their getting into that window early was less about them bringing guys up from the minor leagues and more about them finding talent in all these other ways. You know, your Jesus Aguilar's, your Travis Shaw's. Your Christian Yelich's. Well, 2018, yeah. But they, they were able to find talent in other ways. And you don't want to count on finding the next Christian Yelich Hell, you don't want to count on finding the next Jesus Aguilar, but I think you can count on them looking around and trying to find guys and having at least some success in bringing in cheap or free talent to continue to push things forward. JP, so, what's your opinion? So I think uh, basically the down seasons for Jesus Aguilar and Travis Shaw shows the perils of kind of relying on those things to be your uh, your talent acquisitions because in general, yeah, you can find guys that can be productive over a year or two, but the, the question is always whether or not it can be consistent over a long period of time. 
Um, and a lot of those guys are available for cheap or for free because they've got some flaw in their game in which they've not been able to do these things, right? So it's a very, very tricky proposition to be able to build a window, a long-term window off of those sorts of things. But what I will say to look at 2020 is there are a lot of positives going into 2020. You can definitely look at, yeah, you've got Christian Yelich, you've got Kira, you've got potentially Trent Grisham if you know he proves that he's a he's a kind of legitimate long-term commodity, which we have no idea at this point, but you know it could be. I would also argue uh, Corey Knebel coming back next year off of injury is going to be massive for for the bullpen. Having the ability to have an offseason to go in and start to deal with a lot of the depth that they've got over the big the big league roster to be able to address things again is going to be huge. They've got a lot of big arms in the bullpen that, uh, you know, Bobby Wall was somebody that people were looking at this year, especially, you know, Ryan was big on Bobby Wall coming coming in this year. He's going to be he's going to be back and they're still going to have just an absolute crap ton of arms to, to look at. Uh Corbin Burns coming back after an offseason, I would suspect that he's, you know, I, I understand that people are just going to write him off as like being crappy, but like he had one really great year and one really bad year. But because the bad year is like the one that we just saw, then suddenly he's just bad forever, which we don't necessarily know. And well, I'd but say, that's what you're doing with Travis Shaw, too. OK, but Travis Shaw was actually like bad for other years, too. And the reason why he got traded was the fact that he basically played his way out of a role in, in Boston. He had a down year in Boston. Then he had two good years with the Brewers. And now he's having a down year with the Brewers. So it's so. two and two. Yep. And I'm saying that I'm not saying that he could never be good again. I'm literally saying that they cannot rely on him to be good as their only third base option next year, which I think is a completely defensible point. And no, I'm not saying that he's completely gone forever. But that's a fantastic straw man, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, and so I would say that uh, the biggest the biggest issue has been their bullpen and that they've got a lot of good good things coming back. And I think if you can look at somebody like Brandon Woodruff as an anchor in the rotation, you can have an entire offseason for Jimmy Nelson to try to get healthy again. And they've still got they've still got some talent. The, I mean, Adrian Hauser's kind of breaking out here a little bit and he looked good in the bullpen for a long stretch and now he seems to have gotten it together kind of as a starter so we'll see yeah. if he's able to sustain that but he could be another potential good young pitcher in the rotation but, going forward but again right like the the whole point is that it's great to have those options but those need to be your supplemental pieces those cannot be the guys that you're relying on to absolutely anchor your team next year those adrian hauser's got to be like your fourth or fifth starter that you're like, man, if if he puts it get together, that's phenomenal. It's not going to be Adrian Hauser's your second starter. Right. And they're going to have some room. I actually did a little bit of looking at their payroll situation for next year, and they're probably at about $95 million going into next year. If they bring back pretty much everybody kind of that I'm expecting them to bring back, that would include Chase Anderson, Eric Thames, be about $95 million. They opened this year at 122 so they have room to add in and bring in guys in free agency, depending on like what's available and what they want to do. They have some space to work with, and that's assuming is, they don't like go to like one thirty, which they is that possibly could. Is that uh, counting in arbitration? Yeah, it's counting in arbitration. It's not counting in league minimums, though. They're going to have very few league minimums next year because yeah. so many guys are headed to RB for the first time. So it's yeah. it's between it was between ninety and ninety five. So okay. They have they have some payroll room to work with next winter in terms of bringing in free agents or adding in trade if they yeah. choose to go that way. 
Okay, I want to wrap up uh, with one final Patreon question from PB Brew Crew. He asked, if you could pick one of three players inducted into the Wall of Honor this week to add to the current roster for the rest of 2019, who would it be? Um, I would take J.J. Hardy. Because the way I read the question was that Trevor Hoffman, you're getting like Brewer's Trevor Hoffman, you're not getting like the most of his career Trevor Hoffman. So the way I thought about it was, because Hoffman would be the obvious answer, but... I took Hardy because I think that their biggest need right now on the team, like think of that bat and his defense. If J.J. Hardy was a great defender in this lineup, that would fit so well with what they need right now based on what we just talked about with Arcia. So I was, was going to say for me, like I took the question as like, you just the, like their current age and ability just have to like walk in and just like <laughs> oh. add um which like i still think i would maybe take jj hardy in that uh because like what jj hardy just retired what two two seasons ago i think he played last year i think he got into games last season okay so then like he still well, has both the, hardy and weeks for like playing with the last year to, okay. to come in and still do some stuff but like also in the back of my mind you're like i and i'm being a little bit like hyperbolic on this but you got to imagine that that Trevor Hoffman still has the changeup. Like it might only be like 60 miles an hour at this point, but like, and he might be able to only pitch like once a week, but you got to imagine he still has it, right? Like that's not, that's not, that's a field pitch. Yeah, but he was getting crushed even with that changeup in 2010 last we saw him. So he was getting, he had really run out of the league in 2010. It was only by virtue of the fact he was going for that 600th save that the Brewers kind of kept him around and let him continue to get chances. Do you think the juice ball would help or hurt? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, the changeup? I don't know. No. I mean, no, it was a joke. Of course it would hurt him. He'd get absolutely smashed. He was getting crushed in, in yeah. 10. That's true. So yeah, now you're, you're, you got him throwing a juice ball. That would be a, a bad combination. But yeah, I think it's J.J. Hardy. We were just talking about the need to cover for shortstop, and they don't have anybody. Right. Which is why RC is getting so many chances. So Prime uh, JJ Hardy. I mean, that dude was very legitimate. He went and had a, a long career. He actually, you know, he won three gold gloves in Baltimore. He got the the you're old and get to like be the perpetual, you know, gold glove winner thing sure. for a while, which he never could get that recognition with the Brewers, even though he was probably even better back then. Yeah. So Okay. Uh, any last thoughts on on this week? Actually, the week coming up, I was just looking at the schedule. Pretty light. They have an off day Monday. They have two games against the Twins and another off day on Thursday. Right, and those would have been the games that if Christian Yelich had put, been put on the DL, he would have been out for this Sunday's game through this Wednesday's game against the Twins. So that's why I'm glad they didn't DL him because well, he'll be you able could, to play those games. You could make the case that with a couple of off days, it would have been the ideal time to do it. Well, if you were just, tr- again, if you were trying to get Travis Shaw onto the roster, like, yeah. you know. So we'll, we'll only have a few games to talk about next week. Hopefully we have a lot of questions. Or <laughs> well, or I guess the games need to be really exciting. I was going to say, like, the Twins have already set a record for the most home runs in an MLB season, and it was August 9th, uh, which is insane, first of all. But that is to say, Brewers fans should be prepared to uh, maybe get a little bit of whiplash watching some home runs. Wait, fly the, t- the Twins broke the team all-time home run record already? All-time team home run record in a single season. They broke it on August 9th. 
You're kidding. No, I would never kid you about that. <laughs> I didn't realize it was happening this soon. I knew it yeah. was going to happen. I well, didn't... I guess if they get into a, a close game in the ninth and Hater comes out, it's uh, time for the the Sam Jackson hold on to your butts gif. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say because I I ended because I tweeted about it uh, when it happened, and I was like, what a completely normal season we're having. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that'll be interesting. They have yeah, they have the Twins, and then they have the Nationals uh, coming up. So it uh, should be a fun week. Should be good to watch, right? No, you're not yeah. excited, Ryan. The, sure, you're, you're the just, twins. Okay, you I think I'm, I think I'll go to both games. You so. don't like that border battle? <laughs> There's always a lot of Twins fans there, but they're I, Minnesota nice. So I was gonna say I used to go. I used to go up to Twins Brewers game when I lived in in Minnesota a bunch, and everybody was always pleasant. And like my, my they're wife pleasant always, through or, gritted teeth. No, my my wife always. Uh, <laughs> it was like a little bit of a Southern thing where like. Because my wife would always wear a Twins jersey, I'd wear a Brewers jersey, and we'd go, and you know, because whatever, we're young and we were holding hands, and people would always be like, "Oh, bless their hearts," <laughs> and like <laughs> other thing where they're just like, "Oh, look, it's a Twins fan and a Brewers fan. That's really cute." Um, and and actually, the only time that we ever got any crap whatsoever was from Brewers fans. And and it and again, I think it's a little bit. It's not, of course, the same extent, but it's a little bit of the same thing about Brewers fans going to Miller Park, where they're like trying to make a show that they're there and let everybody know that they're there and proud and supporting their team away and like want to do it in a very you know drunken masculine way, and uh and like even legitimately towards me, who's wearing a Brewers jersey, like getting shit from Brewers fans. I would have given you the stink eye. If that's it, a little, that's a little bit. You give me the stink eye over the like over FaceTime in doing the podcast. That's not me. Yeah, I'm, I'm shooting that out in all directions while we're doing this. So <laughs> I was uh, going to say you should have seen the the Burt Smith pun thing. You were you were legitimately pissed off. Normally, I reserve that for Ryan, but you got it this time. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I was um, proud of it. And so, like as thinking about it, I was trying to think of like, is anybody named like Elm or oh, there's Dylan Maple. He pitches for the <laughs> he pitches for the Cubs. Damn. OK, well, there are a couple then. It's not. Whoever Burt Smith went to is not like the league leader because the Cubs might have one too. So the team home run record is 267, set by the 2018 Yankees. Big shock. Uh, the Twins, I think we're at 224 right now for the season. Okay. Yeah, so I think the stat you had is the, the the Twins were already in the top 10 of all time seasons. Yeah, I think I, is what it was. Yeah, the the Twins will beat the record this year. They're gonna set it, but it's coming like in September. So good. Well, I they still hit home runs. That that point stands. Right. I was gonna say it's good to be aware of what you're reading. Then I guess. Yeah. The like. It's a very 2019 thing. Yeah. So uh, hey, you can join our Patreon by visiting. Hey, I'm wrapping this up. (laughs) Damn it. No more misinformation. So I was gonna. Does that include postseason? Does that include? Stop. Okay. (laughs) You could join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Patrons at the ball glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Uh, and then also you'll get the extra football podcast when that starts coming out. So join the Patreon. You get stuff. Uh, as always, follow us on Twitter at mketailgate. Uh, we'll tweet everything out for all the podcasts that we're doing at that handle. Uh, you can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can leave reviews, and that helps people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Okay, let me check levels. Yeah, why Hauser got sick? Does he just like get nervous and then throw up when he gets nervous? Yeah, yesterday it was all water. The the, the one from last summer, it was like bile and it was like dark brown. Yesterday okay, well, it was just pure water. I'm not wondering like what it was considered, what, like what it was made of. Just wondering like is he just does he just like get really really nervous and then get sick or is was he like actually dealing with the flu? I think it was nerves from what I could. Well, he gather. he made an error, and then like, <laughs> that's a natural human response. I made an error. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Can you imagine if everybody did that whenever they made an error? That'd be incredible. Baseball would be the nastiest game. Well, did you see they came out with like a bucket and like dumped water on his dude's spot? <laughs> it would be like Chunk telling a story in the Goonies. <laughs> They made the sound, and then everybody else started throwing up when they saw it. <laughs> I was thinking of the Stand By Me scene. Mm. Chunk telling the Fratellis about the time he <laughs> fake threw up in a movie theater and made the entire theater start throwing up. <laughs>